Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Krug and FA Cup winner Scott Minto as we pour over the Carabao Cup final and a massive weekend in the Premier League. Here's what's coming up on the show. The 64th League Cup final pits red against blue. With too many big chances. Falls back to Jackson. Somehow Keller has made a brilliant save to point blank range. We had problems before the game, they became bigger during the game. Kruppenberg, who uh, hasn't had much luck, is replaced by Joe Gomez. Arched forward into Jackson, the offside flag has stayed down. Sterling's joining the attack. Here is Raheem Sterling to put it in. The offside flag goes up on the far side. Was indeed offside. It was very, very tight. I think we've been here before, haven't we? Nil-nil between these two. Was the far post and the head of a Van Dijk is into the far corner. Possible offside in the build-up to the goal. I can only see it being endo blocking. The referee has overturned the goal and it's still nil-nil and it's a massive lead off for Chelsea. It's in towards Gallagher. He's come back off the post. It's like reading a thriller, this, isn't it? You don't know until the last page exactly who's going to lift the trophy. Extra time once again. I think Chelsea will be a little bit red-faced if they don't get over the line. This comes in from the left-hand side. The header from Van Dijk. This time it is in. And he is going to win the Carabao Cup final for Liverpool. Colossus in your team. Your captain to step forward. Definitely one of the best experiences ever. They'll never forget that in my life. Liverpool are the winners of the Carabao Cup 2024. Let's dive in and start at Wembley. Hello, gentlemen. Are we okay? I'm good, mate. Um, yeah, a little bit bruised from yesterday. Uh, tough watch. I was watching it with my dad, who's a big Liverpool fan, so we had the dogs to separate us, but um, <laughs> he was a happy bunny in the end. Yes, he was. Uh, Crook had a massive rant on Sunday morning about Manchester United on TalkSport, which we will get to in just a second. We'll try and move it on. We won't let him do the same rant again. Um, because uh, he's in a public place. He's actually in the reception of a Premier Inn because he takes this so seriously, this podcast. He thought that what he'd do is just set up camp in any old hotel around about 50,000 people. Don't worry about the fact that it's on YouTube and that they haven't signed a waiver form if they happen to appear on the programme. Just, just you know, he just does what he wants. He's got a plate of bacon and eggs, you know, a couple of slices of toast, big vat of coffee. He's happy. That's all that matters. Um, so, Crook, uh, where did you watch the uh, the Carabao Cup final from? Were you on your perch at Dancing on Ice when you were doing so? Uh, in our dressing room, Sam, uh, surrounded by Haribo, popcorn, crisps. They look after you very well there. But um, I've got to say, um, I was probably as frustrated as you during extra time because 
as you know, I had a decent bet on Chelsea to lift the trophy, and I think it was there for them. I, I still can't believe how bad they were in that extra time period. Well, it's interesting that you were surrounded by Haribo sweets, crisps, and popcorn because uh, there was quite a few kids that Jurgen Klopp bought with him yesterday, Scott. <laughs> um, how embarrassing is it for Chelsea that they lost to basically five teenagers or five young kids? Let's let's be honest about it. At one stage, if you include the goalkeeper who hardly plays, and you've got Quanser in the team as well, there's a lot of young people that have come off the bench. Some of them have got very little experience in the first team to come on at Wembley and to do that to Chelsea in that extra time period. And I think that was the frustrating period, wasn't it, for, for, for Maurizio Pochettino? And it's one there was a lot of criticism afterwards was because actually, you know, he brings on Nkunku, he brings on Mudrik, and they're more erratic, they're less controlled than the club that have bought on several young kids. I mean, you've got to give credit to Liverpool. I thought they were absolutely terrific, by the way, especially in that extra time period. And those kids deserve a lot of credit. But there has to be a source of frustration, doesn't there, if you're Maurizio Pochettino? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right to word it like that. First of all, there must be a lot of frustration for for the Chelsea fans to see their Chelsea being like that. And, you know, it was interesting listening to to Jeff Stelling come out with the average age of the teams that I think it was the one that was finished either or going into extra time where Liverpool actually had the the older average age. But that's not the point, really. It's it's about the fact that Liverpool have had, what, five teenagers coming on. Uh, Chelsea, OK, they may be young, but have chosen to go down the route, as we've spoken many times before, and spent a lot of money doing just that. Look, over 90 minutes, I thought it was very even, and arguably Kelleher was mm. probably man of the match. Oh, but you're brilliant. right. You know, and I'm sort of like that with my dad. You know, like, oh, we're going to get you now, um, going into extra time. But my goodness me, if anything, Liverpool completely deserved to win that game. I'm really glad it didn't go to penalties, but... Liverpool deserved to win it for the extra time that they had. Yeah, absolutely. And I did think as well, you know, Jeff's right. The the average age of the team isn't much different. Chelsea have got a lot of youngsters. Malagusta's only 20 years of old age. It's Colwell's 21st birthday today, the day after the cup final. But in terms of the number of appearances that the players have had in the first teams of professional football teams, you know, Jaden Dans basically came off the bench for one minute on Wednesday night and then played 35 minutes in a cup final. That's crazy. That doesn't happen, does it? I mean, that is stuff of legend. There was no way in this world he ever dreamt that that was going to be uh, the case. Uh, Virgil van Dijk scored the winning goal. He actually had one disallowed, first of all, from a set piece. And then after 20 shots on target, Virgil van Dijk netted the winner in the 118th minute. And it was sloppy defending, but it was a brilliant header crook. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm keen to get your take on the first goal that was disallowed because I think a lot of people were up in arms about that. I don't think Levi Colwell was going to get back there and and stop van Dijk scoring. But I guess you'll tell us by the letter of the law, they applied uh, the offside rule correctly. But what a leader uh, van Dijk was surrounded by kids and I think it was uh, poetic for him that he popped up uh, with the winning goal and it was a terrific header the marking was lamentable it has to be said sort of summed up uh, Chelsea's endeavours in extra time and you mentioned Dan's how good was he when he came on I thought he was absolutely exceptional leading the line for Liverpool at such a young age he looks like something special to be honest Um, and you know I understand why they put plenty of faith in those young players because Eight academy players picking up a medal. Alex Inglethorpe did a brilliant interview with Jamie Carragher in the build-up to the to uh, the game, and he talked about the fact that you know we we don't spend the kind of money that other teams spend on our academies, but what we do is we have real standards. So they have like a salary cap. 
they make sure that they've got a, a certain car policy. So you can't have, if you're an academy um, player at Liverpool, you get 50 grand a year. That's all you can get and until you get into the first team. And you can only have a car that you park in the car park that's got a 1.3 litre engine, which just keeps everybody on a level, keeps everybody in check. And that's one of the massive things that they've got about maintaining the characters of those players. And I think you saw the characters of those players. You know, they're fighting for something. They want to get into that first team dressing room so they can be rewarded going forward. They can make a career. Scott, I think that's the right way of behaving, isn't it? Sam, it's, it's it's unbelievable. I didn't know that, actually. And, uh, you know, when I first turned professional uh, at Charlton back in what would it be, 1987, I bought a, a Mark III Escort Gear 1.6 off my dad for £1,500. So I probably wouldn't even have been allowed to have that. Um, you know, it's but but I think absolutely we talk about youngsters coming through and, and almost feeling like they've made it before they've even hit the first team. I love the sound of that. And anybody my age and above would love the, the sound of that about keeping players grounded, not feeling like they've made it, you know, and because it, in, in the world we live in right now, it's easy to do that when you're on the, the brink of a Liverpool first team. But, and, and you say about, you know, it, 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 the, the philosophy that they have in doing that, it still takes a, a lot of faith from Jurgen Klopp to say, do you know what? I'm going to put these kids and lots of them into a cup final that's going to be my last season as Liverpool manager. It's nil-nil. It's not even 2-0 or 3-0 and to see the game out. And I believe they're going to go on and win it. So I think it's fantastic from Klopp. And I think it shows the difference between the two clubs, the unison that Liverpool have from top to bottom and the absolute scattergun approach that Chelsea have as well. But it'd be interesting to see what happens in Liverpool because once these big characters go, like Sir Alex Ferguson... And once Pep goes as well at City, Klopp going with Liverpool, how do you fill the vacuum? Because it will be a massive vacuum once he goes. And it is fascinating that you asked that question. And that is something that maybe we should come on to at a later date. You know, what is the next step? Who is the next manager? It's not just about the the front man either. It's about the support staff. It's about the sporting director. They don't have one of those. You know, they've changed at the top of the organisation. FSG have changed the, the person who's in charge of Liverpool several times over the course of the last few years to keep it fresh. You know, are they going to be able to maintain those standards and go again there have been reports even in the last few years that FSG were quite open to selling the club at some point so the future of Liverpool is not entirely certain but boy has Jurgen Klopp given them a great platform on which to build and you know that academy story I think is one worth celebrating and the kids success which they've yeah. shown yesterday I mean it's brave or stupid isn't it bringing them on just before extra time it's, it's one of the two and if you if you win it's brave if you lose it's naive uh, but yeah, he knows what he's doing you've got to trust him and he got it absolutely right I thought what you said is really important there the unison the the philosophy from top to bottom at the football club is in all traveling in the right direction there is a set approach of how they want to play football Everybody subscribes to it from the academy upwards so that when you get a player from the academy, they fit into your system. They know the standards that are required and they live up to the pressures. At Chelsea, there doesn't seem to be that sort of clear sense of direction that everyone's fighting in the same, in, pointing and fighting in the same way. And I think that is, a, that is an issue. That is an issue because I thought, uh, I don't know what, Crook, you were watching the game. In extra time, I thought Chelsea completely lost it. 
completely mm. lost their way. They didn't, they, they, they did nothing. It was almost as if they sort of were so passive they'd given up or weren't able to. They were paralyzed by the fear of losing to this group of kids. And I was waiting for something to happen, Pochettino to come out and change something. Has he damaged himself in a way by that inaction in that last 30 minutes? I think not just the, the inaction, but the changes that he made as well in terms of the players that he took off. Um, I think taking off Conor Gallagher was a really odd one for me. But momentum was with Chelsea. They were the better team in the second half. They missed so many openings, not so much chances because they, their decision-making in the final third was so poor. But for them to retreat so much into their shell for extra time, was that the players being passive or was that the manager settling for penalties? I think it's probably a combination of the two. And obviously, Pochettino has this tag, which I feel has been harsh in the past of being a, a perennial loser. I think he and his players bottled it on, on Sunday afternoon. There's no getting away from that fact. He might not like it and he didn't like it when that was put to him in the press conference. But the facts are there. Well, billion-pound bottle jobs is the tag that they're going to be labelled with because Gary Neville said it during the commentary uh, on uh, Sunday night. Listen, there's no way on this earth that I would ever have a go at a commentator for coming up with a line because, you know, sometimes you say these things and they get taken and, and, and turned into something that you didn't necessarily mean in a vicious sense and, and that they're used as a weapon. And that's, that's, that's not necessarily fair. But, you know, you can understand why Gary has said that, can't you? Because if you think that Chelsea... And it's not really... I don't even think it's an attack on the actual players themselves. I think it's an attack on the on the club itself, Scott. The fact that you've, you've gone in, you've spent this, splurged this cash, and actually what you haven't done is remember that this is a team game, a squad game, a club game. And if you want to be serial winners, you've got to have that unity. Absolutely. And look, we've said on many occasions on this pod that, you know, to, to go down the route they've gone down, you can't complain in terms of spending the amount of money, but how they spent it and on who and the philosophy of young foreign, mainly foreign talent with not proven Premier League experience, you know, on seven and eight year contracts, it's always going to come back to, to bite you on the bum, really. I was just really surprised that that's the case. I mean, one thing... I feel like I should just say, and I'm not necessarily defending the owners here, but again, we talk about the hole of Sir Alex Ferguson and we've seen what happened. We talk about the possible hole, the upcoming hole with Jurgen Klopp. You can say the same with Chelsea and Abramovich. Now, he went down the route of really, it shouldn't really work, but it was absolutely ruthless, ready-made, world-class players with a ready-made, world-class manager. And if he gets out the top four, he's sacked, another one comes in. But they've got ready-made, world-class players whatever the age they are. They're not concerned about below 25 and let's try and you know look to the future. It's about the here and now and you have to concentrate on the here and now. They've gone down the wrong route, but I, I do think it was always, always going to be a massive hole to fill Abramovich, but so, my goodness, it's not looking good at the moment. So are you giving Pochettino a free pass? I'm not giving him a free pass. I, I agree with, um, with with Crookie. I think his substitutions weren't quite right. I, I don't know why he took off Conor Gallagher, who looked like the only guy capable of at least getting into positions to score goals, you know, albeit sort of not having his shooting boots on. Um, and, and a couple of other sort of substitutions, Trevor Chalaber for, for Ben Chilwell, unless Chilwell was absolutely knackered, I'm sorry, you keep him on that pitch because he gives balance as well as experience from a mental point of view. Um, but I do think, again, you know, we've said this and the Leeds game coming up, I think, is absolutely massive. 
Are you just going to keep on chopping and changing managers all the time? You know, we have this conversation with Manchester United. You know, are we just going to keep on doing the same with Chelsea? And I think that he needs to be given until the end of the season. But I think like Ten Hag, he's very much on trial. Let's see where they finish. Let's see if there's some kind of philosophy, some kind of pattern of play that we can see. But if he gets knocked out of the FA Cup by Leeds or even in the quarterfinals and then finishes sort of, you know, 11th where they are right now, let's have a look out there. I, I'm not one for changing normally. I'm not one for trying to come out with big headlines. I'm trying to one to try and find solutions. But at this moment in time, you know, the, the Poch thing isn't working, but he needs time. Um, Jurgen Klopp in this post-match press conference, obviously he absolutely loved this, Jurgen Klopp, and quite rightly so. He was lauding it in the technical area as his team were getting closer and closer. He could see his kids having a great time and he could see the noise that was being generated from behind the goal because the Liverpool fans really bought into the fact that they were required to help their team during that extra time period when they only had these kids coming off the bench. Um, but um, he was also very critical of the referee and he said afterwards that the, he did not have the level of the game. And Crook, you've already asked the question about the, uh, the first disallowed goal. Now, the first disallowed goal is one of those controversial ones because um, I, I don't think it was very explained very well, especially to the people inside the ground which is a massive problem, right? So if you're if you're a Liverpool fan, all you get to see is a big graphic inside the stadium saying goal being checked for possible offside. Now, the situation here is that the free kick comes in, Endo is in an offside position, right? He then moves across to block Levi Colwell. Now, the referee doesn't spot this at the time. The linesman doesn't spot this at the time. Therefore, when they look at it back, they say, well, hold on a second. Endo is in an offside position and he appears to be blocking off Colwell. Let's have a look at this and see whether or not we think that impacts the movement of the defender. Because if you are in an offside position and you stop a opposing player from attempting to influence the play or trying to play the ball, then you're offside. Simple as. The VAR obviously suggests he looked at the monitor. He looked at the monitor and he decided for himself that that was the case. Now, it's a subjective situation we see instances like this most weeks and it depends which official you've got in the VAR in Stockley Park as to whether or not they say this was clear and obvious enough for me to be able to get involved because it depends on the level of that foul right so if he's if he's if he's really not playing much of a part of stopping someone and it's not obvious that he's done that then he can't call him over to look at the monitor anyway but 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 it was pretty clear that he had blocked his run okay i think when you if you look at the law and you analyse it properly, it's the right decision. It wasn't explained very well, but it is the right decision. It's just they need a better way of explaining it inside the stadium because nobody knew what the hell was going on. We were lucky. We had the benefits of a replay. I'm a saddo. We explained it. But, you know, in the stadium, that's not great. And what about the, the, the Caicedo challenge as well? Because I think we disagree on that one, don't we? I, I think that... I think that was bordering on a red card. And obviously, a, a player has gone off with, with what looks potentially a serious injury. I'm not saying there was malice intended by Caicedo, but I think it was, in in some ways, a worse foul than the one that we saw at Brighton. I was there on Saturday when Billy Gilmore was shown a red card. What do you think, Scott? Um, I think it's just below the ankle enough for it not to be deemed a dangerous challenge. It could be argued that he's in danger in the safety of, of an opponent. I think he turns and he plants his foot as he's looking away from the player. And I think that saves him. 
Do you know what? You could you could call it a clumsy challenge, but he's doing a lot of clumsy challenges in a Chelsea shirt, isn't he? He's looking half a second to a second off the pace all the time and where he looked so good for Brighton and was able to to stop the attacks. He, as I say, he's, he's late almost all the time for Chelsea. And I think he was against Manchester City where he's perhaps lucky to, to stay on the pitch. But in terms of this particular one, if you slow it down, it looks bad. But if you slow a lot of things down, they look bad. That to me was just enough to say that he that was a mistimed one. But but Pochettino needs to have a word with him, and he can't keep on doing that because in another day he will get sent off. And if he had got sent off there, if VAR had decided, which again for the record I think it was the right decision because I think if you look at it in real play, real pace, then I think he was just a little bit late, nothing more than that. But he will get sent off at some point soon. He needs to be very careful. Yeah, I mean, I think the. <laughs> The fact that the, that the assistant was on the near side, very close to it, the referee was very close to it, that John Brooks, the VAR, just decided, you know what, I'm not getting involved in that. There's not clear evidence for me to overturn what they've already seen. I don't know what the conversations were between the two, but I think the referee must have said something along the lines. And this is the key thing. It's what the referee says. Because the referee says, yeah, I saw it. I saw there was contact. I'm thinking um, yellow card max or whatever. Actually, he didn't even give a foul, did he? Ben Chilwell and Connor Bradley having a little bit of a scrap was a bit fun, wasn't it? But again, that was just handbags. I don't think it deserved any more uh, than, than that. Uh, talking of handbags, uh, let's head to Old Trafford and the rest of the Premier League action. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Watkins inside the area, out comes the keeper, and it deflects into the path of Leon Bailey, and looking to consolidate their top four spot. They've scored four at Villa Park. Wow, Manchester United were pressing for the winning goal, but it certainly went against them right now. All that Fulham deserve. Manchester United won, Fulham two. It's been as bad as I've seen at Manchester United for a long, long time. Crystal Palace will pick up all three points this afternoon under their new manager, Oliver Glasner. Crystal Palace three, ten-man Burnley nil. Brighton one, Everton one. Lewis Dunk, the captain, on his 400th 
100th league appearance for the Seagulls. City have won here to go a point behind Liverpool as things stand at the top of the Premier League. And this is better than Saturday night at the movies, isn't it? Nice to take it. Erdogan has gone short. He hits it right, put it in towards the near post. The flick off, tunnel in. More celebrations. Jakob Kivior runs towards the near side to embrace Declan Rice. It's a title race that is closer than two coats of paint. Arsenal 4, Newcastle 1. Wolves 1, Sheffield United 0. Wolves move up to 8th in the table. They take the points courtesy of Sarabia's goal. Manchester United 1, Fulham 2. Let's start there, just days after Big Jim's big speech about taking on the City uh, side and the Liverpool team and knocking them off their perch. United uh, were given a harsh dose of reality as they've been at home uh, by Fulham. Uh, Alex Crook on Facebook said this, when you get beaten by a team who've only won two away games all season, play terribly and your manager comes out and says you've shown character and personality... No wonder these bunch of imposters think they cannot try a leg and get away with it. As for Rashford, if PSG genuinely want him, which I doubt, I'll buy the plane ticket. Waster. <laughs> Nothing like a little bit of professionalism on social media. Um, Crook, have you got anything to add uh, to your uh, rather sedate summary of what happened <laughs> at the weekend? Well, you mentioned Sir Jim Ratcliffe there and his three-year plan to get United uh, back to the top of the tree. I think on the evidence of what we saw at the weekend, it's going to take a lot longer than that. And I, and I stand by it. The, the issue that this group of players have got, similar to Chelsea, actually, but for different reasons, is a mentality problem. They've got the heart of a P. They, they lose a couple of key players in Rasmus Hoyland and Luke Shaw to injury, and they absolutely will. To, to, to play as badly as they did is unforgivable. To get it back to 1-1 with nine minutes of added time and still find a way to lose the game, it, it just compounds the misery for Manchester United fans. And you look at the winning Fulham goal, Ericsson and Maguire are running in treacle. The goalkeeper, I think, has not covered himself in glory again. There's so many issues with this team. But ultimately, as well as having a weak mentality, they're just not very good. Even when they win games, they're not very good. And if you're Eric Ten Hag watching that, to come out and say they show character and personality, two traits they definitely didn't show, you're, li you're lying to yourself and you're lying to the supporters. I thought it was a disgraceful performance from Manchester United. Well, I mentioned, I think, on Thursday's podcast that I, it was quite concerning if you were Eric Ten Hag to listen to Sir Jim Ratcliffe and not get any sort of endorsement whatsoever, um, which I don't think bodes particularly well for the summer for him. But they are eight points behind Aston Villa now with 12 games to go, having lost their... 10th game of 26 this season, Scott. And, and ultimately, whether or not they've got character or personality or the manager's saying the right thing or the wrong thing, Crook is right in one assessment. If you lose 10 games out of 26 and you're Manchester United in the Premier League, you aren't good enough, are you? No, no, absolutely. And does this mean the little ball genius isn't the little ball genius uh, right no. now? We should have um, had one of those little sort of LB geometers, shouldn't we? You know, like, <laughs> where is Crook on the LB geometer this week? That would have been fantastic. No, but he, he is right, though. I mean, it, you know, we talk about Chelsea and how frustrating it is to be a Chelsea fan right now. Well, you know, being a United fan, you know, and, and the, 
Chelsea have gone completely wrong way about it, but there's been a massive hole that's gone. It's been over a decade now since Sir Alex Ferguson, and yet they still don't look uh, that much closer. And disappointing after what happened last season, of course, where you did think he might be that man to take them up there and, and, and challenge in the way that Mikel, Arte- Mikel Arteta has done that with Arsenal. You know, Rashford, I was listening to, to Gabby and Jamie, um, not just the fans ringing in, but but them them too. Um, really scathing of, of Marcus Rashford again. And again, what at what point are we going to see Marcus Rashford absolutely just at least trying, you know, looking as if he is going to be the man to step up and, you know, to lose Hoyland and Luke Shaw as well. And then to look, you know, by the sounds of it, they absolutely got away with 2-1. You know, Fulham dominated. Oh, it, was from a ra- it was a ramshackle performance. It really absolutely. was. I mean, it was... Uh, I thought, and I don't know how much crook you actually saw of the game, but I thought it was disjointed. I thought it was erratic. I thought that the key moment for me is, you know, at somehow, some way, they get themselves into a situation where they make it 1-1. And then they sort of think, well, okay, it's our responsibility now and get to go and win the game. But they seem to forget that just because you've scored and you've got it back to 1-1 doesn't mean the other team can't attack, you know, if, if you commit everybody forward, they can still have a go. You know, you know they're allowed to to still keep attacking if they want to. And then all of a sudden, they sort of realise, damn, they, they're going to counter-attack now. How are we all going to get back? And by the time they got back, they were completely out of shape. They were looking all over the place, didn't know where to go. And, and Awobi just steps inside and fires it into the bottom corner. Actually, to be fair, he should have done that earlier on. He had a great chance in the first half. He should have scored, but he didn't. Um, but um, it, is, it, is, it is a worry. They've lost one fewer game than Everton now and you know if you they've been on a very good run recently Manchester United and everyone was like oh yeah they've done well but you know they've beaten Aston Villa they've beaten Luton they've beaten Wolves and I don't, I don't and Newport County let's be honest they hadn't been uh, convincing uh, do you think that they will replace the LBG in the summer group I think there's every chance um from what I'm told Sir Dave Brailsford is is a regular at the training ground he's paying very close attention to exactly what's going on and if you look at that performance it doesn't smack of one where the players are playing for the manager it doesn't smack of one where there's any great tactical plan there's still no real philosophy from Ten Hag over the course of the season and then he comes out and defends the indefensible so I think he's on very dodgy ground I think his his best hope of salvation was somehow gate crushing the top five because they're not going to get in the top four. I think the top five now looks a little bit out of reach as well. Are Spurs going to lose enough matches? Are Villa going to lose enough matches? And are United going to win enough games to catch them? I don't think so. It's amazing because on uh, Sunday morning of last week, he was telling us everyone who'd listened with his little text messages that they were going to finish in the top four. Now they're not going to finish the top six. It's amazing what a week can do in football. You only played that once. That swing on it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what you were up to last night which is why you're so rough this morning um, uh, if you're Anthony if you are Anthony um, do you sit there and think to yourself what on earth is going on here um, arguably Ten Hag is sort of admitting his own mistake isn't he by signing yeah. Anthony in the fact that he's starting a 19 year old kid for his first Premier League start in his position instead of someone he spent 80 million quid on that 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 would be slightly concerning if I was Eric Ten Hag because people were going to start looking at that bit of business with a little bit more scrutiny, Scott. No, absolutely. But, you know, Anthony, you've got to look at himself in the mirror, isn't he? We're talking about, again, the Chelsea player's got to take responsibility. Well, Anthony certainly had enough opportunity, you know, in his late into his second season and, and he hasn't done it. So, 
No, you know, it, it's just the number of things. Again, I think the two clubs are almost intertwined with the issues they've got. Um, you know, big clubs wanting to spend big money and yet players who can't handle the shirt that they're wearing. And Anthony's another one of those. Listen, Ten Hag, Lightpotch is on trial to the end of the season. So he's got to forget about the signings he's made. He's got to save himself and the job. He's got to watch the training in every single day and say, who can I rely on come the weekend? Well, you know, he picked wrong at the week this weekend, didn't he? It's in towards that near post and the flicker is by Gabriel. They can't keep it out. Or can they? No, they can't. The watch has gone off. Gabriel celebrates. It's another set-piece goal for Arsenal. Carriers went sprawling, made a save. Bobman was there trying to hook it off the line. But the goal decision system alerted Paul Tierney and Gabriel's near post flick on creates yet another goal for Arsenal. It could go down as a Saka assist, which will be his 50th for Arsenal. But whatever the semantics of the situation, it is Arsenal 1 Newcastle here. Here's Martinelli running in behind, getting to the byline, pulling it back into the area, and it's tapped out! Kai Havertz is there! A pullback from Martinelli, who got down the right side, he dragged it back to the edge of the six-yard box, no-one wants Havertz, and he popped in, stabbed it home, it's 2-0 Arsenal. This could be a cricket score. Right side gets the twist and the turn and the left-footed shot towards the far corner. Oh, it's beautiful! It's absolutely beautiful from Bukayo Saka. Towards the near post, the flick on, trouble in! More celebrations! Jakob Kivior! Jordan's just threatening to escape down the left-hand side. He's fed Dan Byrne, who's clipped the ball in towards the near post, and the header is into the back of the net by Joe Willock. Arsenal 4, Newcastle 1. Arsenal 4, Newcastle are one. Another good day at the office for Mikel Arteta and his men. It means that they've now won six straight league games at the start of a calendar year. For the first time for them, they're only the sixth Premier League time uh, side to do that in history. And previous three sides that have won the first six games of the uh, calendar year have all gone on to win the title. This was an absolute Riot. This was so one-sided that Scott and I nearly packed up at half-time and went home because <laughs> it was done and dusted, wasn't it, Scott? I mean, it was It was so... It could have been five or six by half-time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and look, you can, you can say about Newcastle was sloppy and they didn't do this and didn't do that. Arsenal just absolutely swamped them. I mean, they were superb. And you talk about character. Well, I tell you what, Arsenal showed character after that mini little blip that they had sort of just around and after Christmas, since they've bounced back. And we were there for the Liverpool game, the performance against West Ham, against Burnley, here and now as well. Just, you know, listen, I still don't think they will. If you pin me down and say, who do you think is going to win the title? I'm just going to stick with the team that I went from from the start of the season, Man City. But it's very much a three-horse race because not only are they winning games after losing a couple, they're, they're winning games incredibly well dominating games with and without the ball and you have to say at this moment in time they're probably the informed side in the Premier League yes and uh, it's usually at this point that uh, Crook decides to switch and change horse so are you backing Arsenal now I think I backed Arsenal at the start of the season to be uh, fair. I've, I've jumped, I've jumped off the horse a couple of times I've jumped off the horse a couple of times but uh, listen 
it's difficult because City are winning games, even when they're not playing particularly well at this moment in time. I think Bournemouth probably should have got a result on Saturday tea time, but City still found a way to grind out wins. Erling Haaland will find his shooting boots in the not-too-distant future, and that's going to be a big problem, not just for their title rivals, but for whoever they come up against. But I do feel momentum is with Arsenal. I mentioned defensively, I think they're strong. They'll be frustrated with a goal that they conceded, but they were ruthless on Saturday night. They absolutely took Newcastle to the cleaners. I think there was a little bit of needle because of what happened at St. James's Park. There was a little bit of a desire to bounce back from a really disappointing limp display in the Champions League against Porto in the week. They won't be that bad uh, when the Portuguese come back to the Emirates. But you have to give Mikel Arteta a lot of credit. This is a, this is a proper team that he's built and, and they yeah, have character is- in spades. Mikel Arteta actually said there was no needle. You know, the unfinished business was sort of like the way it was billed. But actually, he said, you know what? My biggest priority was we weren't good enough on Wednesday night and I wanted us to be better tonight. And they were. They were Mm. so good. Newcastle were poor. Defensively, they are dreadful. And there is a real issue here. Obviously, two of Arsenal's goals came from set pieces. And Nicolas Jover, the the French um, set piece coach, deserves a lot of credit. And Mikel Arteta said that after the game to me. But when I was speaking to Eddie Howe, you know, I said to him, you've, you've considered 31 goals since December the 7th and Nick Pope getting injured. What is the problem here? Is it system? Is it personnel? Is it actually, what is it? And he was, he was very quick to sort of, he got a little bit spiky. It's not system. It's not system. That system was, gave us the bedrock of our success the year before, but maybe it is, I don't know. Let's have a, we'll have to have a look at it. I've got to find solutions. And he looked a little bit rattled by that. But if you're conceding 31 goals, in that shorter space of time, the most in the Premier League, by the way, over that period, that's a massive issue. Now, he did argue afterwards in the post-match press conference that if the injuries were non-existent, then the gap in quality between the teams wouldn't have been there. And I think there's an argument to that. You know, Isaac can only play 60 minutes because he's he's basically injured. Wilson is injured. They've got a light squad. I totally get that. But if you haven't got a raft of personnel, if you are robbed of players because of injury, surely the first thing you do is you go back to basics and make sure you keep clean sheets, right? Well, look, I mean, I do think he's right in terms of the system because it is the 4-3-3 that he's been playing all the time. You know, Nick Pope being injured. You know, you talk, again, I've mentioned this lots of times, you win games and lose games in the boxes. You know, if you've got Isak and Wilson out at any given time, one or both of them, and you've got your number one goalkeeper who's out as well, that is going to make a massive difference. But, you need to then perhaps tweak. And they've got enough centre-halves. You know, Dan Byrne has had a bit of criticism as a left-back up against quick wingers. Then you can play him as a left-sided centre-half in a in a three or a five. Listen, I, I don't necessarily, even though it was an absolute thrashing, and it was, I don't. I think Arsenal are that good. I would park that one-to-one side for Newcastle. But there's enough games and goals that they have conceded to say that... that you know, he's he's maybe got to do something different. But Sam, I genuinely believe that actually what he did last season was a complete massive overachievement. Yes, These players, right. massive overachievement on an individual and a collective basis. They are where they are right now, where they should be. Mm-hmm. And just last season was just an incredible season. And, you know, for, for people to think they can even get anywhere near the top four again, after what they did last season, not spend hundreds of millions of pounds, deal with the Champions League as well. We won't go over that decision in PSG again, but to deal with all that, again, with, with almost the same squad, with a team that absolutely overachieved last season, 
this is where they should be right now. Mateta steps up, right-footed, and blasts it into the top right-hand corner. Bristol Palace 3, 10-man Burnley 0. Brighton 1, Everton 1, Lewis Dunk the captain. Tielemans in for Watkins inside the area, out comes the keeper, and it deflects into the path of Leon Bailey. And Villa are two goals back in front and looking to consolidate their top four spot. They've scored four at Villa Park. Manchester United 1, Fulham 2. Plays the ball out to the left-hand side to Alex Awobi, who then chops inside. He leaves Dalot for dead and he just reverse passes it into the near post. All that Fulham deserve. Manchester United 1, Fulham 2. Bournemouth 0, Manchester City 1. Phil Foden is the man who's got the goal, but he owes a lot here to Erling Haaland. Towards the near post, a flick off, scored in. More celebrations. Jakob Kivior runs towards the near side to embrace Declan Rice. It's 4-0 to Arsenal. There is the full-time whistle. Arsenal start 2024 with six of the best. It's been another electrifying evening at the Emirates. Saturday night, prime time. Arsenal 4, Newcastle 1. I want to talk a little bit about the relegation race because Luton didn't play this weekend because uh, they were, were supposed to play uh, against a team that were playing in the Carabao Cup final. They've got a game in hand now. Um, they're 20 points from 25. Uh, Everton 26 from 21. Slightly concerned about Everton because they, they they just seem to have forgotten how to win football matches. They were leading in this game down at Brighton. I wasn't there. I didn't see that much of it. But the fact that they've conceded late on would concern me a little bit because, I mean, Sean Dice said to me last week, well, it wasn't that long ago that we were winning uh, four games in a row. Well, actually, it was quite a long time ago now and they haven't won any of the games in 2024, Crook. Yeah, and I used the same phrase that you did there about forgetting how to win when I summed up the full-time whistle for talk sport because that game was there for the taking, really. Brighton were brilliant for half an hour but couldn't take their chances. Everton really grew into it and actually were deserving of their 1-0 lead. But they've conceded a really poor goal from their point of view. It started with a set piece. They they didn't deal with the danger properly. They've allowed Pascal Gross too much time to get the cross back into the area. And then it's a terrific header from Lewis Dunk. But the reason they're not winning games is because they don't have anybody who scores goals. It was a brilliant finish from Jarrod Brampwaite to put them in front. But that's not really what he's there for. It's another game where Calvert-Lewin hasn't scored. And for me, his lack of confidence was summed up by an instant in the first half. An absolutely terrific cross came into the penalty area from Mikalenko down the left-hand side. It was there to be headed in by Calvert-Lewin. He's been beaten at the near post by Lewis Dunk, who's headed it behind for a corner. Calvert-Lewin, full of confidence, scoring goals. He gets there ahead of the centre-back, and I think that's a real problem for Everton. Did a bit of analysis last week on Calvert-Lewin and the fact that his XG per 90, and Stuart Pearce and I were discussing this yesterday, and he was like to me, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. The analysis is that he his XG per 90 is higher this season than it was in the season under Ancelotti where he scored 16 Premier League goals. Think about that for a second. That means he's getting exactly the same level, if not better chances, this season than he did in the season where he scored 16 goals. And he's got three or four this year. That What's the problem here? Well, it's in that last action. It's in that last moment, just before he pulls the trigger. 
the shot selection, the direction, the, making the right decision at the right moment, the connection time, all those little things that happen right in that final second before you score the goal, they're just not right for whatever reason. Might be a little bit of misfortune in some circumstances. Might be a couple of goalkeepers having a world. It might be a lack of confidence. But those things need to be put right very quickly because they've got a problem. Because people will say, yeah, but they've been deducted 10 points. That's why they've only got 21. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But they've got a relegation attack. Look at the number of goals they've scored this season. 28. That's fewer than absolutely everybody in the league bar Burnley and Sheffield United. That is going to cause you a problem whether you've got 10 points deducted or not. And there's a, another possible, well, they might get some points back, but there's another possible deduction coming as well, along with Nottingham Forest. And who knows, the courts may well decide who goes down for that third place because it does look like, you know, the other two will go down. And, and they also rely heavily on set pieces, which tells yeah. me in, in open play, you know, they're, they're just not good enough. And if you have those stats, Sam, as you know, as you've just said, well, they're bottom three for scoring goals. They need to be very good defensively and not conceding. And, you know, Cricky was there. Brighton had a guy sent off as well, didn't they? So even more so, you, yeah. you, you see the game out. This is Villa Park. Packed to the rafters, as usual. Nutmegs, the defender, pulls it across the six-yard line. And Watkins tucks it home. And Villa are off and running inside four minutes. Now, Matty Cash inside the Nottingham Forest box for Villa. Pulls it across the face of goal. A touch from Ramsey. Sets up Douglas Louise. Brilliant second goal for Aston Villa. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Nuno has got this wrong. Lovely cross. 3-0. Douglas Louise. Fantastic goal. Planted ahead of home. Swings it deep to the far post. Awani heads it back across goal and chested in by Niakate. They do get one back. Nottingham Forest. Origi, lovely ball into the box. And Gibbs White lobs it over the keeper and makes it 3-2. What a start to the second half! Well, I tell you what, the finish is absolutely delightful. In for Watkins inside the area, out comes the keeper, and it deflects into the path of Leon Bailey. And Villa are two goals back in front and looking to consolidate their top four spot. They've scored four at Villa Park. Aston Villa four, Nottingham Forest two. OK, uh, let's move on to Aston Villa against uh, Forest. 4-2 in Aston Villa's favour. Uh, Villa ran right in the first half, went 3-0 up, opened the door, let Forest in. Villa are a little bit like that, aren't they? I mean, they can they can be superb and then they can just get a little bit casual, but that's probably borne out of the fact that they're still very much at the beginning of their journey under Unai Emery Crook. Yeah, I guess they're this season's Newcastle in many ways. I mean, we, we know the better head with Jim White for Villa to finish above Newcastle. I didn't necessarily expect them to be Champions League contenders, but they are and they look like they're going to stay the course, so credit to them. But if we're talking about relegation as well, and I think you have to include Forest in the conversation, particularly as they've got their own uh, profit and sustainability charge hanging over them, the difference between Forest and Everton, those other two teams you mentioned, they do score goals. They've got players um, like Morgan Gibbs-White and Awon Yee, if he can stay fit. And I think ultimately that will get them over the line to safety. Yeah, just about, I think. They've scored 34 goals this season. They've got 24 points. Listen, it will depend on the PESR uh, uh, because 
you don't know how many points are going to be deducted, but it's it's Luton Town have got an opportunity, haven't they, to try and catch Everton or, or, or Nottingham Forest and because of their game in hand. They could end up with 23 points at this moment in time. It's only 20 at this juncture. Uh, Palace, well, they'll be safe, won't they? Crystal Palace, they've got 28 points now. They probably only need six more points to stay in the Premier League. That's what history will uh, tell you because the average is 34.7 over the last 10 years that you require to stay in the league. Oliver Glasner's turned up. They've won the first game. That's it. You know, he's he's pretty pretty much cruising now. There's no way on this on this earth that over the course of the next 12 games he's not going to win twice or get six points, is there, Scott? So he he can start thinking about next season pretty shortly. I, I don't even think he needs six points. I think this season, you know, the bottom three won't get to you know very early 30s, let alone 34. So it's a massive win. But he'll be thinking, can we play Burnley every week, please? You know, and can we just try and press them as much as possible? Because Scott, I know that, that's what before. everyone thinks. <laughs> no, and and you know, I, we said at the start of the season we were at, um, at Wembley when we did the first sort of you know looking ahead to the season. None of us had Burnley in the bottom three, and we all thought, Idiots. Do you know what? Idiots! Absolutely, we all thought because they blitzed the the championship so much that that, they, that they'd be fine. But you buy a lot of players. Hmm, I heard this before that are not quite used to playing in the Premier League, throw them all together, throw in a style that they're not used to doing. It's a recipe for disaster. And, and you know, that's sending off where there's no way you're going to come out with any points at all. If you're playing like that, you go down to 10 men early in the first half, you, you're going to lose it. So it's a fantastic performance um, from Glasner's men. But, you know, he'll have some bigger battles to come. As I say, I don't even think they hit 32, let alone 34. Uh, well, that's good news for Chelsea because they got 35 points, so they'll be okay. <laughs> um, the biggest battle I think Oliver Glasner is going to have is holding on to Michael Elise and Eberichi Eze. That's going to be the hardest thing that he has to achieve over the course of the next uh, six months uh, in charge of uh, uh, Crystal Palace. Um, right, that's it, uh, it from us. We're uh, back later in the week when we will look back on the FA Cup. I mean, it's quite a big sort of week of FA Cup action. It's massive for Chelsea against Leeds, uh, live on TalkSport 2. It's huge for Manchester United and Nottingham Forest now on Wednesday night. That's our TalkSport exclusive game. Tuesday night, massive for Newcastle against Blackburn, which is on TalkSport 2. And uh, I think the Luton Manchester City game will be quite fascinating as well. That's the one I'm going to on Tuesday night. Me too. Forward. I'll see to you there. Right, okay, I'll see you there. All right, we can mm. compare notes, Scott. Um, right, uh, nice to see you. Thank you very much. Crook, you get back to doing whatever it is you've been doing this weekend because uh, you look like you've been, uh, well, having a good time. That's all. Don't want to know, Sam. Don't want to no, know. No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know either. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. It's probably What's best. What's still going on in that bedroom? We don't uh, want to know. 18 plus. Please play aware. Don't <laughs> all. Um, right okay we'll see you on Thursday for more uh, Premier League action on the Premier League All Access podcast from TalkSport The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes the latest odds we set them form guides we've got them expert opinions we share them the best fans in the world deserve the best be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.